Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. This week we're talking about the 1981 sci-fi horror film, Galaxy of Terror. Terror. (laughs) Film was produced by Roger Corman and is one of the very first films to feature the work of James Cameron. The same James Cameron who gave us the Terminator and Alien and the Abyss. This is really weird because it's like, Galaxy of Terror is like an alien ripoff movie by Roger Corman. Yes. Who James Cameron began his kind of his career on. Before this, he's like a truck driver that like wrote screenplays on the weekends and shit. And then James Cameron goes on to direct Aliens, the, the sequel to Alien. And it kind of follows the same structure as this movie. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they got kind of like the weird nightmare thing going on in this movie, but it's, it's, it's so weird. It's like a really weird, like a snaking its tail kind of like situation. Yeah, it really is. This movie, they had to edit a lot of content out of this movie to avoid getting an X rating. This, there was a scene that Roger Corman had altered because, well, he promised the investors a sex scene with Taffy O'Connell. And yeah. And he delivered it. And then the Motion Picture Association said, um, yeah, that's an uh, that's gonna be an X rating. We're not gonna let anybody under 18 into that one. And yeah. um, and so they had to edit it in, in order to get <laughs> the, the, oh. the bare bare minimum to avoid an X. It it is it is R double plus in some places because of gore yeah. uh, and nudity and sexual content. Looks even weird. I think the MPAA had like a thing against them though, because they cut out the sex scene. Right. And when they when they did the recut, the uh, the sound engineers went in and made it sound more spooky by making stronger, you know, like bones cracking and stuff or like, yeah. you know, skate screams. And they got another X rating for what the hell is that? Intense sound. It went down to R and they changed the name to Galaxy of Terror and that's where we got today. Yep. Movie is uh eighty one minutes long and made on a budget of $1.8 million. It made $4 million at the box office. Got a 31% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's, that's pretty generous from my, from my perspective. Oh, yeah. A lot of critics panned this as a ripoff of the first Alien movie, which was released two years before in 1979. Uh, but this film pe- featured... Like you said, plot lines and aesthetics that would absolutely be seen again in the sequel, Alien, and also in Event Horizon. Yeah. Oh, man, that movie uh, trip. It's kind of like it suffered the same thing, like uh, too gory and stuff. They gave it an X rating. They're like, we're not going to show this. And they, yeah. you know, opted down and stuff. But that's another story. Yeah. 
One of the things I thought about this movie when I was watching it is it's almost like a collection of short stories that got jammed together into one longer story. And yeah. most of that's editing, I'm sure, because the editing is really, really sloppy in this movie. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels you remember uh, Ray Bradbury Theater? Oh, yeah. This movie feels like an episode of that show. Or like uh, a bunch of episodes of that show that had like the same scene. <laughs> right. And he sliced them all together. Yep. Film was directed by Bruce Clark, another New Zealand filmmaker known for Naked Angels, Hammer, and The Games Affair. This was the end of his directing career. He never yeah. directed another movie after this. That Angels one was pretty good. It was like a biker's flick. Okay. I, I, I like that movie. It was a good movie. Uh, written by Mark Siegler and Bruce Clark. Mark Siegler is better known as an actor. He appeared in Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force. I don't know how we haven't talked about that one yet. Uh, I know that. <laughs> uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 6, The Dream Child, Father Dowling Mysteries, and NYPD Blue. Oh, man, I love NYPD Blue. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Production design by James Cameron. The same year this film was released, Cameron directed Piranha 2, The Spawning, followed very closely by The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, True Lies, and Titanic. Yeah. Uh, he also, while they were working on this, uh, what's his name? The guy, John Carpenter came through. And yeah. it was like uh, doing little inserts, and James Cameron did the uh, the plate, the mat work for uh, Escape from New York. Right. So yeah, it's like, like James Cameron. Cameron needed Roger Corman to let him in the door, and then he just took off and made himself a legend. Yeah, and like yeah, Roger Corman. I mean, that guy. Without that guy and his like this man, I want ma- give me money. I want money. We wouldn't have like a lot of talent <clears> that we. Growing, or yeah growing up and stuff yeah like, yeah that was really like a factory house you know it was like a talent set decoration and i mentioned this one because yeah this is an, another people who worked on a crappy film who later became legendary set oh, decoration yeah. by karen scheibel who is known for parasite the last american virgin and the alchemist and bill paxton oh man yeah Dude, like Bill, Bill Paxton being on this movie kind of put a foot in the door where James Cameron was just like, just use that guy. Yeah, that's Bill Paxton from Aliens, Apollo 13, Twister, and Titanic. I love that vampire movie he was in. John Carpenter's like, Vampires? No, 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 no. He was that's in the only vampire, vampire movie. movie that I absolutely love. <laughs> he was in this movie called Near Dark, which was like, oh, yeah, by, like, yeah. A chick, but like it had like Lance Henderson in it. It had like, oh man, all kinds of people in it. It was a great movie. Yeah. Movie stars Bernard Behrens as Commander Ilver. Um, he was a character actor from 1961 until 2010. Best known for The Man with Two Brains, starring Steve Martin. That's a, that's a fucking, it's funny, but the shit movie. It, that describes every Steve Martin film. True. Yeah, touche. I'll give you that. Also appeared in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, Friday the 13th, the TV series, 
and he played Obi-Wan Kenobi in the radio drama version of Star Wars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he also appeared in just about every hit primetime series of the 1970s and 80s, including Little House on the Prairie, Starsky and Hutch, Beretta, Quincy, Dallas, Fantasy Island, T.J. Hooker, and Hill Street Blues. Yeah, I remember that the Little House on the Prairie that was in. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Edward Albert as Cabron, primarily a TV character actor from 63 until his death in 2006. He appeared in Kung Fu, Police Story, Falcon Crest, L.A. Law, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And of course, everybody who was in Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman also appeared in Walker, Texas Ranger. And just (laughs) about every Power Rangers series as Mr. Collins. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Well, like everybody goes back to Power Rangers. I mean, that thing's like yeah. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grace Zabriskie is Captain Trantor, arguably the worst actor in this movie. Yeah. And that was because the part was written horribly. She was a character actor and from 1978 until present, um, known for Armageddon, East of Eden, Hill Street Blues, Falcon Crest, Child's Play 2. Twin Peaks, Seinfeld, Big Love, and Ray Donovan. That's a, that's a nice, meaty, uh, a lot yeah. of gems. And, uh, that's quite yeah. a resume, yeah. That's why I say, you know, the, the bad acting for this character is directly a result of a bad script. <laughs> Next, we have Aaron Moran as Aluma, best known for playing Joni Cunningham on Happy Days. Joni! <laughs> This film was made right in between the end of her role on Happy Days and the beginning of the Happy Days spinoff series, Joni Loves Chachi. No, man, that that show has a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) God. Also appeared in The Love Boat, Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis, Murder, and The Bold and the Beautiful. One of the great things about Happy Days has nothing to do with Aaron Moran. It has nothing to do with Henry Winkler. It was the final two episodes of the series, which gave us Mork from Ork. Yeah, that was weird. Not many people think of Mork and Mindy as a Happy Days spinoff, but yeah, Mork landed in Richie Cunningham's backyard in the last two episodes of the of Happy Days. Yeah, uh, this. I mean, like the only other time I think of the weirder spinoff was um, Perfect Strangers. Yeah. And that was like a, a spinoff of Family Matters or some shit. And it was just in, insane. Yeah. I mean, that series right. was insane to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Valkyrie Takamas. But yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's like that. It's like, yeah, you get like two episodes of one series and like that will like spin off into another series. I mean, they, like Happy Days is like because like they had like Laverne and Shirley was a spin off of them, right? Like, you know, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's, it's it's true. Yep, we we wouldn't have like Robin Williams. I mean, we would have, but he's probably been different creatures, right? Ray Walston as Core. This guy has been in absolutely everything. IMDb lists 156 acting credits from 1954 until his death in 2001. Best known for My Favorite Martian, Mod Squad, 
Love American Style, Mission Impossible, the good one, not the Tom Cruise crap. <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Silver Spoons, Ski Patrol, and Parker Lewis Can't Lose also appeared in The Stand, Star Trek's The Next Generation, and Voyager, and Adam's Family Reunion. Yeah, the guy is like legendary, you know? Yes. Uh, I don't know what movie it was, but I remember one time he was drunk as hell, just yelling like the entire movie. Yep. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's great. Um, it was his class that Dennis Spicoli ordered pizza delivered to. Yeah. He also had the best line in that movie. <laughs> uh, all these kids aren't dope. C, D, F, F, F. What are you people on dope? And uh, like, anytime I like, I fucking hate like you know teenagers get on my nerves and shit. I, I just I'll just yell that. Yeah. <laughs> and Zalman King is Balon. He was a TV character actor from 64, 1964 until nineteen eighty two, and then he transitioned to producing. He appeared in a bunch of westerns he was in bonanza gunsmoke daniel boone um he was also in some primetime dramas he was in the man from uncle ironside and charlie's angels as a producer he was involved with red shoe diaries nine and a half weeks and wild orchid uh, a bunch of pervert movies yes <laughs> now here's some more gold in this movie. This movie actually has some, some really great stuff in it. We talked about James Cameron. We talked about Roger Corman. Robert Englund as Ranger. Best known, yeah. of course, as Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger, yeah. And what's weird is like uh, someone on the crew and then Robert Englund would go on like a year later and make the first time on the street. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like the camera uh, director of photography or something. I don't know, but yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. Plus, I just love Robert England, man. He's in the new season of Stranger Things. Yes, he is. Uh, he's still working, man. He's still the man. Uh, I loved him in, you know, you know I love V, right? Yep. So, yeah, I'm down with Robert England all the way. He also appeared in Wishmaster, Babylon 5, Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Lots of voice credits, too. Yeah. Appeared in Uncle Grandpa, The Regular Show, Strippers vs. Werewolves, The Spectacular Spider-Man, and The Batman. He was also in his batshit crazy movie called The Killer Tongue. <laughs> okay. And we got to cover that movie because it is the weirdest movie ever made. All right. And finally, Sid Haig as Kuhad. My man. He's got 150 acting credits from 1962 until well after his death in 2019. Appeared in Star Trek, the original series, Gunsmoke, Get Smart, Mission Impossible. Again, the good one, not the Tom Cruise crap. Yeah. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. My favorite Saturday morning TV show, Jason of Star Command. I know, right? The Dragon. Also appeared in Fantasy Island, Kill Bill Volume 2, and House of a Thousand Corpses. Goddamn motherfucker got blood all over my best clown suit. <laughs> Movie opens up with a 
blasted land alien landscape vista and opening credits and lots of laser sound effects just a pew 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 as we look across yeah. a, a blue tinted disaster zone basically the movie's writ- lit very very darkly so and i'm sure that's on purpose you know things are scarier when you can't tell exactly what they are look you can't see all like the uh duct tape that's holding the scenes together and shit. <laughs> that's absolutely right a man with a huge gun is running from something for through what looks like service corridors on a spaceship or an outpost or something there has been some kind of battle or maybe a crash and everything's smoky and wires are hanging from the ceiling i don't know who makes spaceships but you'd think they could tie the damn wires up better Every single spaceship ever has wires hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And you think that'd be uh, like a hazard. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think that'd be like a alien OSHA violation or something. But no, just, you know, just put that extension cord up there in the rafters. It'll be fine. I swear. Space isn't regulated, man. (laughs) Well, he heads through a door and uses his laser rifle to weld the door shut behind him. And through, and that's when, when he turns around, he sees a corpse uh, whose head has been busted open, exposing the brain. That was an interesting prop. I liked that. Oh, yeah. This looks to be some kind of medical bay or, or suspended animation chamber or something. Through a really tiny window, we see a very blurry monster and it starts gyrating around. And that's when this soldier guy is thrown across the room and bounced off some walls, presumably by telepathy or some strange force that we don't understand. Then a freeze frame on his screen. Scream. We've been doing that a lot lately. Freeze frame yeah. on the screams. It works, man. It does work. Cut to the planet Xerxes. An old woman <laughs> and a man with a red light for a face are playing some kind of tabletop game. Basically, she's got four buttons that she pushes in some sequence, and then you cut to really cheesy computer animation. Yeah. Also, you got to really, the guy's got a red light for a face. Yes, he has a red light for a face. Where his Mm -hmm. head would be, you see basically a red light bulb. Yeah, it's so weird and like just out of the ordinary, I don't know. Like, you don't see that in movies a lot anymore. Right. Like, oh, yeah. We'll make him an alien by just taking away his head and replace it with a red light bulb. Yes, exactly. So the narration explains that the woman is Mitri, the oracle of the game, and the man with the red light for a head is planet master of Xerxes. Commander Ilvar comes on the screen and explains they've lost contact with a ship called the Remus after it landed on the planet Organthus. Mitri mutters something ominous prophecy and the planet master decides we're going to put together an exploratory mission oh and by the way commander you're going to head it up <laughs> okay these names man it's like they just took names out of a hat it's like the weirdest yeah. stuff ever yeah yeah the names are awful on board the ship quest crew is preparing to head for organthus Ship Captain Trantor appears and starts barking orders. Um, She's not waiting for anything. As soon as she walks up, you got 30 seconds and we're taking off. 
So everybody's scrambling to get strapped in before the ship takes off and throws them all over the place. Ranger can't get his station open. So Dimea, she opens up her chair and lets Ranger sit on her lap, (laughs) which is kind (laughs) of cheesy. Yeah, rather than hopping over the rail and getting in his chair, he just lets Dimea wrap her legs around his waist and and he'll he'll handle the blast off that way. No problem. There's also some tension between Balon and Cabron. Apparently, they know each other and Balon doesn't like Cabron. Uh, Cabron and Aluma appear to be dating, and maybe there's some tension over that too. Not really sure. There's not a lot of explanation in this movie. You're just supposed to accept that things are. Yeah, it's a stupid little scene too. It's like they just all strap in and shit, and then it's like that's kind of like this is this is your characters, this is their connections, and it's still not really clear. Right. Right, we see people heading down the hallway and Cabron stops Aluma and gives her a big kiss and then they're all around the big table strapping themselves in and Balon just announces, I'm in charge of this mission. Uh, Also, that that hallway? Yeah. That's the the lining of the the top of the ceiling. That's uh, McDonald's foam carton that they used to put the burgers in. <laughs> it is. I, I mentioned in an early episode, Cameron, like, well, just let's go get some styrofoam. They went and got a bunch of mix- styrofoam from McDonald's in the trash and just mined oh, it. And yeah, uh, yeah I man. can see that. I can see it. Yeah. So the ship takes off, and we see cargo that wasn't finished being put away uh, being tumbled out into the corridors as they take off. After they leave the planet, Commander Ilvar is talking with Captain Trantor. She has a mysterious haunted past involving a ship called the Hesperus. And this is where we get the bad, bad uh, scripting. She gives the order for people to go clean up the mess that she just made. And as soon as they get up to do that, she says, cool, we're going to hyper jump in like 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, man. Safety regulations just out the window in this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, they're they're all getting up to clean up the mess that she made, and then the announcement comes on: we're going to hyper jump in ten seconds, and they're all scrambling back to their their chairs to get strapped in again. Then they they just arrive at Organthus, just done. We're there. Boom. Yeah, it's kind of like two thousand and one. It gets trippy there for a minute, and then pay them. Right. Yeah. Well, as the ship approaches the planet, it suddenly veers off course. Trantor takes over manual controls to try to recover their dive toward the planet. And she's giving orders and she tells the the science officer, "I, I need more power from this. And the science officer said, well, that's all she's got. And then Trantor just throws her arms down, spins around in the chair and says, Okay, fine. I'm done. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> Some captain. Yeah. Oh, things are hard. Fuck it. We're going to die. <laughs> Commander. You know, never that at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Commander Ilvar suggests using the landing jets, but Trantor has really given up. And then she thinks, wait a minute. I could try the landing jets. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, she's back in it again. 
And they initiate an emergency landing right next to the ship they were the sent to investigate. So a very uh, fortuitous crash landing right in the exact know, right? spot they needed to be in. Yeah. Thank God for the plot development. <laughs> <laughs> While this is all happening, we get shots of the crew, you know, and they're all strapped in their vet in their seats. And some of them are looking scared. Some of them are looking determined. Ray Walston is sitting there looking like he needs to get an agent who will find him a decent part for a change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ship lands and Trantor, she checks out. She's, I'm done. I'll be in my cabin. If you need me, see ya. She is leaving the rest of the mission to Captain Ilvar and his team. Outside the ship at the wreck of the Remus, everybody is wearing their Datsun headlight backpacks. Yeah. Giant plastic backpacks with a couple of car headlights mounted on them. And you, know, you got to like, light things the way you got to light things, but come on. It's like, uh, like a really crappy version of the ones that the Marines wear and the Aliens, the sequel. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, but like they they didn't have like I don't know the design right or something. So yeah, it's, it's like you got a vacuum cleaner with car lights on your back. <laughs> well, they make their way through some wreckage into the Remus. Inside, a corpse drops from the ceiling, and Kohad stabs it with his crystal throwing star. Um, then one of the crew fires a laser blast at the corpse, incinerating it. As soon as they see a dead body, they burn it, no matter what. Yeah. No gathering evidence? No nothing. Ah, oh, there's signs of what happened. Let's get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Elon splits the team up to search the rest of the ship. He sends Cabrin and Kohad in one direction. Aluma and Balon go another direction, and that leaves Kaz all by himself. Kaz is a very jumpy young man. He panics at everything. Cabrin offers to go with Kaz to help, uh, you know, calm him down. But Balon uh, reminds him, I'm the boss here. I say who goes where. Real petty power struggle there. Because only one of them's struggling. <laughs> <laughs> So Cabrin and Kohad make a big show of sneaking up on a dead crewman and shooting him, incinerating the corpse, which sets off a smoke alarm, apparently. Kaz thinks he's seeing things moving in the shadows, and he goes to investigate, and it looks like some kind of giant bug, like a praying mantis or something. He runs from it and crashes right into Balon and Aluma. Well, they all decide to head back to the ship to, to discuss what they found on their way back. Kaz hears something inside the ship, so he goes to investigate. He decides that it was nothing, and he's going to go catch up with the rest of the gang. And that's when the giant bug thing jumps him, wrapping around his waist and using a big claw to rip open the top of his head. Kaz is dead. Awesome. Yeah. Back on the quest, the crew is discussing Kaz's death. Aluma is apparently a psychic, and she's there because she can psychically detect life forms. They've got all kinds of instruments and computers for calculating uh, hyper jumps and stuff, but they don't have one that can detect life. They need a psychic for that. 
She says she sensed a life force around Kaz, which disappeared as soon as he was dead. That sounds like she sensed Kaz. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of the way life works. There's a life force and then you're dead and there's no life force. Um, I blame Star Wars, man. Uh, (laughs) Because before Star Wars, they had like science fiction, right? And then after that, they started putting elements in everything in the science fiction. Right, right. Yeah, they got like, yeah, they got like some chicks that can read life forces and stuff. Of course, you know. Right. So apparently, she sensed something menacing that attacked Cause. I think was what they were going at. Yeah. We do get another glimpse of that busted open head as Daimia and Ranger are performing an autopsy on Cause to determine the cause of death. Trantor says that this is the exact same way things happened on the Hesperus. Bum, bum, bum. Foreboding <laughs> music. Ranger and Daimia can't figure out what killed Cause. There are still four people unaccounted for from the Remus, though. So Ilvar shows them a weird spot uh, that messes with their scanners. They're, they're scanning across the landscape and at a certain point things just go all fuzzy and and distorted so they have to go investigate that in person crap <laughs> yeah i know so back outside with the giant backpacks and their headlights on they approach what looks like a big black pyramid so they split up again balon who is in charge remember ask commander ilvar what they should do Elvar <laughs> uh, splits them up. Aluma and Kuhad go with Balon, and Cabrin and Daimia go with Commander Ilvar, and they're going to enter this building. We see the commander, the old guy, of course, climbing up the side of the mountain until he slips and goes tumbling down. <laughs> they catch him, though. He's going to be all right. Don't worry. He's got like seven minutes more before he dies. Oops, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Daimia tries to convince uh, Commander Ilvar, you got to go on, but Commander Ilvar is feeling sorry for himself. I'm too old for this. And she says, you're not too old, gray-haired, dumpy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, He actually did it. I'm too old for this shit thing, man. He did. He did. And she goes, you're not old. And he says, well, you make me feel young again. And then he slips and falls down the inside, down the side of the wall. (laughs) They find a big hole. They find a big hole in the wall. And looking in, it is a long way down. Can't really see what's in there. There's some light kind of at the bottom, but that's about it. So Cabrin and Daimia try to talk Ilvar out of rappelling down the, uh, down the shaft. He's He's too old to climb the hill. He's young enough to rappel down into the hole. <laughs> uh, but he finally, you know, he convinces them, we're going to go. And he shoots a little piton into the rock there. And over the lip he goes, and he's sliding down a rope into this big hole. And there's little wormholes in the wall all over the place. Well, you can't have somebody rappelling in an action horror movie unless their rope pulls loose. Guess what's going to happen, Jesse? Uh, rope's going to pull loose. Rope pulls loose, totally. <laughs> it's in the bylaws, man. It has to happen. Has to happen. Well, the 
Cabrin and Daimia, they grab a hold of the rope and they're able to hold on to it as he continues to rappel down. But he gets to a certain point and he stops. And this place definitely has an aliens feel to it. It's got what, what was that guy's name? Yeah, that did the the artwork for Aliens. That Dutch guy, Geiger. Geiger, yeah, yeah. It definitely yeah. has a Geiger feel to it. It's just black and oily and just gross looking. Yeah. Well, he stops to look in these holes that are in the side of the wall, and that's when a big slimy tentacle shoots out and and attacks his face. Uh, he cuts it off. And the severed stump slithers back into the hole. But uh, that's not going to be the end of it because a few more are going to shoot out. They're going to attach to his body. They're going to attach to his face. And they're just going to suck the life right out of him. When Cabrin looks into the hole to see what he's hollering about, Ilvar is just playing gone. You see the little harness that he was wearing hanging at the end of the rope. But that's it. So Cabrin decides... Well, that didn't go well. Let me try it. <laughs> <laughs> and he repels down to see what happened to Camp Commander Ilvar. He's not taking any chances on a little piton shot into the rock. He's going to let Daimia hold the rope and that'll be good enough. Oh, and, man. He's so and, good. Yeah. And he finds the harness empty. Well, back on the quest, Captain Trantor and the cook, Kor, are having dinner. Ranger comes to join them, and, and Trantor immediately jumps into telling war stories. And it's so funny because she's being moody and brooding. And then as soon as he walks in, she, she immediately changes to, so there I was, enemies all around me. And <laughs> <laughs> Ranger says, oh, was this back on the Hesperus? And now she's sad again. No, the Hesperus was completely different. <laughs> they just did a terrible job of writing this character. They did a terrible job of writing dialogue, period. <laughs> uh, one of the cool things about Sid Haig is like, uh, is like uh, when he went, he's like, I don't, I don't, he, he called Roger Corman and was like, I want one stipulation. And Roger Corman is like, I'm not giving you any more money to appear in this movie. And Sid Hague is like, no, that's not it. Uh, I want to be mute because I don't want to talk all this weird space mumbo jumbo y'all got going on in this movie. And, and that's a smart decision. Like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll do that. That is a smart decision. Yeah, he was forced to say, he was forced to say one line and it was like that spooky mumbo jumbo. But like, that was it. Just one line. And yeah. uh, I think it's right before he dies and shit. But yeah, the the way their the, their names and like the thing they call like basic items, yeah, just is totally like mumbo jumbo bullshit. Right? Huh? Does this sound like a space name? Yeah, I'll use that. That sounds like a space name. <laughs> what the hell is a stamo flame? I don't know what I'm talking about. What's my motivation? <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. And the bad part about this is that Captain Trantor is supposed to be the troubled hero, but the way they wrote her, she's completely unbelievable, completely unlikable. I'm ready for her to die, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we reached the summit of the pyramid, and Balon, jeez, Balon is standing at the top of this pyramid, 
And there's like a chalk outline on the floor where he has apparently incinerated a corpse. And then the two people that he's been climbing this pyramid with the whole time, they start to come over the edge and he looks surprised and turns real fast and points the gun at them like they snuck up on him. (laughs) Yeah. This is when Aluma gives him some crap about uh, destroying all the corpses they find before they can gather any evidence from them. Finally, somebody made that point. Well, these really huge doors start to open. So Kuhad throws his crystal shurikens at the doors to stop them from opening. And Cabron and Daimia show up and the crystals shatter and Balon just opens fire into this dark doorway. Don't know if there's anything in there, but he's going to shoot the hell out of it anyway. Kuhad is absolutely devastated by the loss of his crystal throwing stars, by the way. Oh, yeah. So sad face. He's like, I can't believe my babies. Exactly. You don't say that. Yeah. He says it with his face. Inside, there are no obvious signs of life. (laughs) Balon hands Kuhad a, a pistol and tells him to guard the entrance. And this is this was his one line. He says he lives and dies by the crystals. And then he takes the pistol and points it right at Balon's face. <laughs> yeah, like up in his grill. And he's like, I live and die by the crystal. He just throws that pistol on the ground after Balon walks off. Searching the place, we find out that Aluma is claustrophobic. And there are wormholes all over the place, and it's freaking her out. Balon all of a sudden wants to leave, and Cabron tries to calm folks down. So Balon changes his mind all of a sudden. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to lead, and let's go. <laughs> it doesn't matter what anybody says about anything. Balon is going to argue the opposite side of it. Oh, um, yeah. He's totally contrarian, man. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. One defining characteristic. Well, Kuhad can't bring himself to pick up the pistol, and he's raging about that when the doors start to close. For some reason, he runs and squeezes through the doors to the outside just as they close completely. And that's when he sees his shattered crystal throwing stars reassemble themselves, and they're just laying there on the ground. He reaches for one of them. And one of them stabs him in the arm. And you get to see the crystal just work its way under his skin and up his arm. And you see it under his skin moving up his arm. It's freaking him out and he's trying to stop it, but it just keeps going. So he does the only sane thing. He grabs the other crystal throwing star and cuts his whole arm off. That that shot where it shows his arm on the ground. That's so cool. It is. It definitely is. So we see the severed arm on the ground. It reaches over and it grabs the other crystal throwing star and throws it at Kuhad, stabbing him in the chest and killing him. So long, Captain Spaulding. You ruled, man. <laughs> Back on the quest, Ranger is talking with Kor now. Kor offers him a book, but Ranger doesn't want anything to do with the book. Um, (laughs) he needs to find the captain so the two of them go off to find the captain meanwhile back inside this weird pyramid thing Daimia finds Kuha dead so she zaps him with the laser gun incinerating him and as she starts to back away 
she bumps into his severed arm and is just crawling with these giant maggots. Uh-huh. She freaks out. She turns around and laser blasts the arm, but one little maggot managed to escape and it immediately starts growing into a giant worm. I read that they had developed a special technique for these little maggots to get them to move, to get them to squirm on cue. So there was actually a a fine wire mesh under them, and they would run a mild electric current through it, and that would make the little maggots squirm exactly when they needed to. Yeah. Well, Daimia is trying to reach the quest on the radio, but she can't. Meanwhile, the maggot is super giant size now as she heads back inside the tunnels. It's also dripping with really slimy goo inside the it's hallway. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. Inside the hallway, Daimia is... Yeah. <laughs> inside the hallway, this is... You know this is a horror movie, girl, because she will only walk backwards. Yeah. And of if course... They're in the she, woods. If they were in the woods, she'd probably be tripping over trees and shit. But yeah, no, it's like, it's, uh, oh, no, I want to back away, walk backwards. <laughs> well, she manages to walk backwards right into the giant worm. And it grabs her, rips her clothes off, and rapes her as her screams of panic becomes moans of pleasure. And then she dies. That, that was the selling point for this movie. Like, word of mouth, you like. Everybody was like, you got to go see this giant maggot rate movie. Yeah, this is the scene that resulted in the X rating. This is, you know, people, uh, you know, Roger Corman sold this. I'm going to get this actress naked. She'll have a sex scene. And then he wrote this in there. And not only did the actress say no, the director said no, too. So Roger Corman had to go get a body double and direct the scene himself because the director he hired wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Uh, while, she was, while she was filming the scene that she was in, her agent was like on the phone the entire time. Like, get the hell out of this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man. Yeah, and it was just a really gratuitous scene. It doesn't, it's bizarre. It's just bizarre. But Roger Corman had told the guys with the checkbook that this was going to be there, so he had to make sure it was there. That that should tell you something when even your director says, if you want this scene in, direct it yourself. That maggot? Yeah. Uh, James Cameron took the skeletal structure, the way they had that Muppet set up, and used that for the Queen Alien in Alien. Really? Yeah, it's almost the exact same. I mean, they had to change a little bit because the Alien's head. Yeah, but it, the setup for the the Muppets is pretty much the same thing. They just That's awesome. It. Yeah. Back on the quest, Ranger and Core have reached the bridge, but the captain isn't there. And then somewhere, uh, they hear one of the retro cannons fire. That's a space only weapon. It'll destroy the ship if it's fired while the ship is parked on a planet. So. Then Ranger discovers that the captain has switched all the weapons to manual control. And when Ranger turns around, Core is gone. We see him hiding in a little alcove. Ranger goes looking for him, and as he walks past Core, Core just knocks Ranger out for some reason. <laughs> in another part of the ship, Captain Trantor is playing a shoot 'em up video game. Core yeah, finds her. 
and he knows her military record. Apparently, uh, he's not who he said he was. He says he served on another ship with her, and now she thinks he was assigned to spy on her. He's, he's trying to help her because she's gone completely paranoid for some reason. There Wait, are, no. yeah, she, there's no enemy on the radar screen that she's looking at. She's hallucinating it and just firing at nothing. Then all of a sudden she just grabs a giant gun and walks away. Ranger finds Core sitting at that weapon control console that, that the captain just walked away from. And he's just sitting there staring at something. Uh, Ranger starts flipping through the video channels trying to find the captain. And he flips the channel just in time to see her open the airlock and burst into flames. <laughs> Ranger goes to investigate. And when he opens the door to the airlock, there is a faceless corpse falling towards him, which freaks him out. Of course. Back inside the pyramid, the rest of the crew come across the naked corpse of Dimea, so they laser blast her and incinerate, get rid of the evidence. Everybody is back on the quest to analyze what they found. Aluma wants to fix the ship and leave, but apparently there's a strange field keeping them trapped there. Kor says he wants to go with them when they go back inside the pyramid, and they're kind of suspicious and kind of doubtful, but he assures them that he can handle a weapon, no problem. And they head back to the pyramid, and inside, Ranger pulls Cabrin aside and tells him he doesn't trust Kor. Uh, nothing more than that. Just don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> they're walking through the hallways, Balon leading the way, followed by Kor. Everybody else wants to keep Kor in front of them. They come to this really windy cavern, and there's a wormhole they need to go through. And as we mentioned before, Aluma is claustrophobic, so she starts freaking out. But Cabrin convinces her to go with him anyway. Balon hears a sound and starts shooting into some tunnel. He's just staring blankly down the wormhole, and Cabrin decides he's going to go first, followed by Aluma, and it's basically a giant tube slide. You see him sliding down parts of it, and then you see her just stopped and sitting in it, and then they're sliding down it again. Yeah, like her backpack goes down, and she's just still kind of like halfway in this tube. Yeah. Like, I see the light from my backpack down there. Yeah, exactly. I could keep going down this thing and get out of it or i can just sit here in the middle of it and act scared and then go down it later and that's what she decides to do sit there and be scared for a minute and then go down it later well the slide ends in a huge cavern aluma can still sense whatever's after him balon hears a monster and and we get to see it in kind of a silhouette just like in aliens but we don't really actually see the monster and the group heads off to investigate the rest of this place. They're on this catwalk in a huge open cavern with what looks like perforated walls. It looks really great. This is probably the yeah. best looking part of the whole movie. Oh, yeah. It, it does give it like a sense of grandiness. Of grand, uh, it is huge, you know, but like you tell it. You know, just like a matte painting or whatever. Right. It's it's if it's not green screen, it's just a you know just a static backdrop. But still, it looks great. Yeah. As they walk along the catwalk, um, we get to see these little claws gripping the edges of the catwalk, like the monsters hanging from underneath it and and walking along. That's kind of cool. 
It grabs yeah, like Ranger it. by the ankle, tripping him. Well, Ranger blames Balon until Cabrin calms things down. They head through a doorway, and Kor has figured out where the controls are to close the door behind him. Uh, Cabrin thinks he's seen something. He thinks he sees a pattern that kind of comes and goes as they open and close the door. So he's telling Kor to open the door a little bit, close it a little bit. Kor closes the door completely, locking Balon out on the catwalk. That's when the monster decides to attack Balon. I've hated this guy through 30 minutes of the movie at this point, and I'm actually rooting for the monster now. <laughs> Kor, who told them, this is how you open and close the door. He can't figure out how to open the door now. Maybe <laughs> Ranger's <laughs> onto something, and this guy's not, uh, not to be trusted. Outside, the alien monster attacks Balon, sort of. It slaps his gun once and then yells at him and then just disappears into blackness. Doesn't run off. It just kind of fades away. Uh, the rest of the group is trying to get the door open, but the monster sneaks up behind Balon, grabs him, guts him, and tosses him off the catwalk. I guess they got to burn that one, huh? I guess so. <laughs> That's when the doors open and the lights come on, letting the group back out onto the catwalk. Nobody can find Balon. Apparently, they couldn't see what was going on. You know, the door was closed. Couldn't see what happened out there. But Ranger is freaking out now. He thinks he sees something, so he goes off on Cabrin over something Cabrin did to him when they were at the Academy. He thinks Cabrin's harassing him, and then Aluma manages to calm him down, bring him back to his senses. Next, we see Aluma step through this lit triangle doorway, and then the doorway vanishes behind her, and she is stranded on the other side of the door. Same thing happens to Cabrin, and he gets stuck in another area. And then Ranger, he goes through a doorway too, and now they're all separated from each other in a green glass funhouse, which actually... You know, if you wanted to make a haunted fun house, that would look pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Ranger is grabbed from behind, and when he turns to face his attacker, it's him. He is fighting against himself. Meanwhile, Aluma and Cabrin find each other on opposite sides of a glass window. They can't hear each other, but he tells her to circle around, and, and she does that as we cut back and forth between Aluma and ranger fighting against ranger aluma comes across another wormhole and heads into the to that as cabrin watches from the other side of the window he can't get to her she's kind of on her own ranger finally manages to beat evil ranger maybe he shoots him a few times and it doesn't actually do anything to him and then he shoots him in the chest and his shirt is burned away and he's got like three big blast holes in him. But he notices there's no blood. There's no guts. He's just got holes punched in him. And now evil Ranger just looks sad. Uh, Ranger says something about fighting himself. And that's when evil Ranger vanishes. Meanwhile, Aluma is crawling through a wormhole when vines break loose from the sides of the wormhole and start wrapping around her legs and her torso. She's claustrophobic. She's in a confined space, and now it's got her. Uh, how much worse could that be? 
uh, the vines start to tighten and they're cutting into her. And eventually they wrap around her face and tighten until her head explodes while Cabrin has to watch the whole thing. Yeah. He just watched his girlfriend's head explode. But uh, I think they, in the head explosion, they use Dinty Moore chili. <laughs> I can see that. It was a good head explosion. It was. It was really, uh, yeah, it was soupy. It was, it was like, it was, <laughs> usually stuff like that is like, you know, some jello or something. Not yeah. not this. It was, it was, or worse, they'll just put a, an M80 inside a paper mache head and it's all dry and dusty. Yeah, this looked like, yeah, like, seriously, like, chili just, like, came out of her head. It was gross. <laughs> Ranger finally manages to get to Cabrin, and uh, we see them walking through another part of the cavern. They're starting to figure out that they're causing all of the horror that they're encountering, that they're encountering stuff that they're afraid of. That's when Kor appears and tells him, oh, by the way, this isn't over. Kor is definitely not who they thought he was. Um, Kor is way up at the top of this, this gigantic staircase, and Cabrin starts up it. Now, you can't really see the stairs until he steps on one, and then it lights up, and then Kor's got to get a little jab in there at him because one of the stairs doesn't light up, and he steps through it and starts to fall. But and anyway, Kor kind of chuckles to himself and heads off into this little corridor up high and Cabrin continues up the stairs to find him at the top he enters a dark room that slowly lights up to reveal core sitting cross-legged on a glass table in the middle of the room and that's when his head turns into a ball of red light core is actually the game master Dun, dun, dun. I know. Well, Cabrin confronts Kor and fires a shot at him. That bounces right back at him. Don't do that again. The master explains that this whole planet is an initiation to teach them to control their fears. And this is, in fact, where he became the master. Well, Cabrin wants to know why the rest of them had to die. And the master explains, well, they could have, they didn't have to die. They could have mastered their fears just like you did. They just didn't. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't kill them. They killed themselves. It's, yeah. It's like the uh, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. It's like, yeah, hey, they're, they're full ass kids. They, they were going to make it in life. They, exactly. Exactly. Well, the room goes red and the monster appears to attack Cabrin. And it's all of the monsters. It's the triangle head monster that got Balon. It's the giant worm that got Damia. It, it's all of the monsters. And Cabrin fights them off and then the lights in the room go blue and Cabrin has to face all of his dead crewmate. Here's what I want to know. And I missed this somewhere in my notes. How did Ranger die? They didn't. Did he? Well, uh, I mean, I dude went up the staircase. Yeah. And the guy stayed at the bottom. So was that a hallucination? Was him with, like, did he die? Or, I, I don't, yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. We just kind of wrapped that. We never wrapped that one up. I mean, everybody else, we get to see him die. We never get to see Ranger die. But apparently, Cabrin is the last man standing. I don't know. 
So Cabrin is facing off against all of his dead crewmates. And it looks like he falls down. They, they overpower him. He falls down. And they're all coming in like the zombie shot to eat him, you know? And yeah, that's I like how when, they knock him down. Like, yeah. uh, Sid Haig still got one arm and beats his ass. But after I get taken down, Sid Haig just comes down and does like this weird, like, cop problem a guy, like, move on him with one arm and he just falls <laughs> down like a little bit. <laughs> and then, then they zombie up on him. Yeah. And that's when Aluma starts calling his name. She is back and acting a lot like a zombie. Uh, she moves in to kiss him, but instead of kissing him, she picks him up off the ground and strangles him. Um, but apparently, once you've been ripped apart by alien vines, you can't hold together real well, and her shoulder starts to come loose, so she drops him. And when she drops Cabrin, Cabrin shoots her. She bursts into flames, and he finds himself back in the room with the master. Weird. Cabrin walks up to the master. His gun is in his holster. He's, he's unarmed. But he walks up to the master, and something weird happens. We see laser beams shoot out of Cabrin's belly button and hit the master. I was like, do what now? <laughs> like, the, like, yeah, he just got kind of peaceful lasers out of him. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, energy comes out of the master and goes to do. And it's like, what? The hell yeah the red light that was the master's head it just zaps cabrin cabrin says that tells the master i i've killed you i've killed the master and he says no no you just killed an old man you're the master now he says well i just won't do it he said, well that'll be a choice too and there will be consequences for that so not only is cabrin the master against his will whether he decides to do anything or not, that will be exercising his will as the master, and that's going to affect people's lives. That's when Cabrin pulls out his giant laser pistol and laser blasts the old man, who used to be the master, incinerating him. Then Cabrin's head turns into a ball of red light and roll credit. Roll credit. I'm not going to lie. It was a job to watch this movie. Yeah, no, it, it, it sags a lot of parts, and it's really slow. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of slow. It's kind of slow. It tries to be deep without, you know, the writing necessary to make it deep. It's an important movie. I'm glad we saw it. There's some great stuff in there. But yeah, I didn't know about the McDonald's uh, hamburger containers. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Like, they did that on this movie, and... uh Battle Beyond the Stars, which was Roger Corman's Star Wars knockoff. Okay. And uh, James worked on the set on both those. And so. Okay. Yeah. So, like, they made Battle Beyond the Stars, which is a Star Wars knockoff. And then they made this, which is an Aliens knockoff. Yeah. And, yeah, they both stand out in my mind. I don't know why. They're really shitty sci-fi movies. <laughs> And uh, I, I, it's what I grew up on, you know? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's what... Uh, I mean, I've, I've watched those terrible things, too. I mean, I mentioned Jason the Star Command as one of my all-time favorite Saturday morning shows. It's not because it was well-made, because it totally wasn't. No. But it was, it was my favorite show, so, you know. And same way with this movie. These are formative movies. 
made a lot of people's careers, <laughs> yeah. you know, started a lot of people's careers, you know, to think that we wouldn't have had the abyss if it hadn't been for this movie or Terminator. I know, right? Terminator, man. Yeah. Terminator 2. <laughs> we would not have had Terminator if it hadn't been for this. Yeah, some really good stuff here. All right, man. Um, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Oh,